Heather, good to see you up there. Johnny, Melissa. We want you to know anyone who wants to sing with the choir is welcome too. Thanks, Heather, for joining Johnny up there. Thanks, Melissa, again. Done wonderful. Well, thank you for the worship team. But now, if you got your word of God with you, open it to Revelation chapter 3. And as we prepare, this wasn't on, on my list, but it hit my heart while we was preparing through those songs for better as the, the thousand days elsewhere doesn't compare to one day in your presence. What we're preparing to study today is a reward that is promised to those who believe in Jesus Christ, who overcome this world through Him. This is a promise, and I want it to be real to you. So as we begin, I want you to know that what we're getting ready to talk about is not a fairy tale. It's not an exaggeration. It's the words of our Lord to the church for us as comfort and hope. And so I pray that this will be real to you and you realize the reward, one of them, that our Lord is preparing for us on the other side of this journey. I was so pumped up when this truth was revealed to me and I can't stop thinking about it all the time. So, if you're there, let's start in in verse 7 of Revelation chapter 3, which says, To the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These things says he who is holy, he who is true, he who has the keys of David, and opens and no one shuts, and shuts and no one opens. I know your works. See, I have set before you an open door, and no one can shut it. You have a little strength. You have kept my word and have not denied my name. Indeed, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and are not, but they lie. Indeed, I will make them come to worship before your feet and to know that I have loved you. Because you have kept my command to persevere, I will also keep you from the hour of trial which shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell upon the earth. Behold, I am coming quickly. Hold fast to what you have that no one take your crown. And he who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God and he shall go out no more. I will write on him the name of my God, and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem which comes down out of heaven from my God. And I will write on him my new name. Let he who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. Now to bring those who weren't here last week up to speed a little bit, last week we talked about that key of David. That the church of Philadelphia 
out of the seven churches that our Lord wrote to is one of only two that didn't have any problems going on. This was a faithful church. This was a church that had persevered and he said, you've kept my word. You didn't deny my name. You are trying your best to do everything. And I am going to take care of you. I am offering you these things. And we talked about that key of David. He said, I know your works. I know what you're doing. And I've set before you an open door. And I am the one who holds those keys. And we talked about how David was a man whom God took from a sheepfold and from sheep following him around in a desert and made him king. And he said, those who are faithful to me, I can offer these type of same things. I am able to bless you. One of the scriptures that that we covered the last time, he said, I took you from the sheepfold and from following the sheep to be ruler over my people Israel. And then he said this, I have been with you wherever you have went. I have cut off all of your enemies from before you and have made you a great name like the great name of the men of this world. David did some things wrong, didn't he? And we went through several things and the people that was impacted by what he did But every time his heart was always penitent back toward the Lord. It wasn't that he wanted or desired to do those things wrong. He desired to walk in grace, but he made bad choices sometimes. He let emotions and things get a hold of him that shouldn't have. And so what God is saying, I am putting David as the standard of blessings for life. So that you can see. That even though you might think, oh, I've messed up beyond belief. Oh, yeah, did you get 70,000 people? 70,000 people killed in one weekend because you disobeyed a command of the Lord? I don't think you've done that. An entire priesthood, save one at the city of Nob, was murdered because you told a lie and you were running in fear from King Saul. And they took the brunt of your punishment? No. So you have whatever in your life you do not compare to David on what bad choices you've made. But if you are like David and you say, I'm not going to let that stop me, but I'm going to persevere. My heart is always going to be continually toward the Lord. I'm going to ask for forgiveness and get up and move on. Then he says, I have set David up as the example, as the key that I still love you and I bless you and I take care of you and I am with you wherever you was going, even when you was wandering in the muck and the mire. I was there with you and I protected you. He said, I cut your enemies off from before you. So whenever you look up at Revelation chapter 3 and he says, not only have I done that and have the key of David he said you had a little strength you kept my word you didn't deny my name therefore your enemies those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and they are not I am not going to allow them to harm you I am still going to protect you through that even though they are trying they are not allowed because I am taking care of you and I walk with you every step that you take 
And as a matter of fact, when it comes down to it, they're going to bow down before you one day and know that I loved you because you did not deny my name in this world. Divine protection comes to those who follow in his steps. So isn't that enough to make you want to be a part of the Lord's body? But there's more. We move on to verse 11. And he says, hold fast to what you have. First he said, behold, I come quickly. And then hold fast. Behold, I come quickly was talking about those problems and the enemies and the things that are happening. It may not seem fast enough to us, but it's fast enough. It's in the Lord's time. And he says, I will come and I will take care of those things in your life and those things that are happening. Your job, keep that little strength and hold fast to what you have so that no one takes your crown. The enemy wants your crown. You know why? Because he can't have it. He gave up his crown. He made a choice in eternity past that he gave up his crown. And now his desire is to rob everyone else of their crown so that they will suffer with him and not have an eternal happiness and joy with our Lord. So he says, hold fast to your crown. Don't let him rob it or take it. That's the word here for seize on take. He wants to violently rip that from you, but don't let him. You remember when we studied Smyrna in chapter 2 and verse 10, they were being persecuted. And the Lord said this to them, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested with tribulation for 10 days. But be thou faithful unto death. And I will give you a crown of righteousness. There is going to be periods of temptation. There's going to be trials. There is going to be... We said last week that old... I don't know if it was Tammy Wynette or Loretta Lynn that said, I beg your pardon. I never promised you a rose garden. That's what the Lord is saying right here too. He's saying, life is tough. It's not a rose garden. I'm not promising you everything. But what I am saying is, if you follow me, I will take care of you. I will prosper you to what your ability to handle that prosperity is. Because if he had prospered me a long time ago when I was young, I probably wouldn't even be here right now. So he knows you and he knows the ways in which you need to be prospered up to a certain point and protected and taken care of. Be faithful. And I will give you a crown of life. And here he warns them, don't let the enemy take that crown of life from you. Paul said in 2 Timothy 4 verses 7 and 8, whenever he was winding down his life, he said, I have finished the course, I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness with the Lord, the righteous judge, is going to give me on that day, and not only to me also, but to everyone who is in Jesus Christ. Be diligent, he says. Finish the race. Don't let them take your crown. And then we get to verse 12 of our text up here in Revelation. He who overcomes. Here's our new territory now. Here's what we're going to talk about today. The one who overcomes. I will make him to be a pillar in the temple of my God. He shall go out no more. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, New Jerusalem, which comes down from heaven from my God. And I will write on him my new name. Man, that's a lot of verses and a lot of lists. We're only going to talk about the first one. 
we're going to talk about that pillar. And I want you to really grasp this blessing for he who overcomes. Now, in the past we've talked about it, but let's review. Who's an overcomer? Who's the one that he's targeting with this blessing? Well, John, who also the Lord used to write Revelation, wrote the epistle of 1 John five times there. He makes reference to who the overcomer is. And he says in 1 John chapter 5, verses 1 through 5, Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. Everyone who loves Him loves those who He's begat. That means our brothers and sisters in Christ. If you love God, you're going to love each other as well. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep His commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep the commandments and they are not burdensome. And then we get to the text that's before you on the board. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. Who is he that overcomes? The world, but he who believes that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So the victor, the nikao that the word is used here, the winner where Nike comes from, the winner is the one who has that constant faith in Jesus Christ as the Son of God and keeps the commandments of God and loves his brothers and sisters in Christ. And he says this peculiar promise that we don't understand in our day in the year 2018 of our Lord. He says, I will make you to be a pillar to my God. Now what in the world is he talking about? If I told you that you're a pillar in the temple, does that make you go, woohoo, I'm not going to do another wrong decision again? It doesn't, does it? It doesn't ring a bell. Well, let's start doing some history to bring us up to what this promise it really is for you and I. Genesis 19, first mention of a pillar in history. Abraham has taken up his, his nephew Lot. And they're together, and Lot, by association with a great man of God, now becomes prosperous as well. His cattle and sheep and things are growing, and so is Abraham's. And the next thing you know, the servants are fighting over pasture and water. So they get together, and Abraham says, this isn't right. We, we shouldn't be arguing over this kind of things. We, sh- we are family. So I will allow you to choose wherever you want to go. To take the land and I will go the opposite direction so that our families can be in peace. Lot pitched his tent towards Sodom it says. Oh don't pitch your tent towards Sodom in your life. But that's another day. So he goes to Sodom and he pitched it towards Sodom. And by the time you get to chapter 19 they're in Sodom. He's a part of the city. He sits at the gates. He's now a part of that place, even though he's trying not to get involved with their culture, and it wears on him, but he's there. And the city becomes so despondent to God and rejected him that God has to go down and destroy that city because they do not recognize his divine establishments that he did from the foundation of the world. And so the angels went down there to try to rescue Lot and his family from Sodom. And it says that he actually, when he told them about it, that he actually had to grab their hands to pull them out. They weren't wanting to leave. And the angels said that you're going to be destroyed with this city. 
And he grabbed him and he said, don't look back. Don't let your heart look back to that city and to that lifestyle. Hang on to us and go forward. And it says there in verse 26 that Lot's wife didn't listen. And she turned around and looked at Sodom and Gomorrah as they left because that's where her heart was and she had left it there. And it says she turned into a pillar of salt. A pillar is a memorial. It's a testimony. It's a record of history to something or something or somebody that is meant to impact everyone and teach a lesson, good or bad. So the first reference, and we've said before in teaching that the first reference of a word usually sets the precedence of it throughout the rest of Scripture. So a pillar then, even though this one's a notorious one, it stands for a monument to something. And hers was for a lifestyle that didn't want to leave Sodom. She became a pillar of salt. The next one, in Genesis 35, it talks about Jacob's wife, Rachel, when she was having Benjamin and she passed during the childbirth. It says that he set up a monument upon her grave. And the scriptures say at that time it was written that it still stands there as a record for that today. So we still do that today at burial sites. And they are records and monuments and testimonies to a life that was lived. Now these are all interesting Bible truths about setting a principle of what a pillar is. But if you were a first century Christian... And you are sitting there when this letter comes to Philadelphia and you're reading this, you would know a whole lot deeper things from culture as to what those pillars meant. So now let's go to that culture and let's start taking a look at what it meant to them when they said, you are going to be a pillar to my God in his temple. Because temples were all over the place at that time. And monuments. This is where historical records were kept. It wasn't just a place to go on a worship day. They went there every day. Historical records. The treasury. Things like that was kept there. So now let's take a look at some examples to know what it was. This is the temple of Artemis at Ephesus. And we've studied this in the first letter in chapter 2 to the letter to Ephesus. This was built around 323 B.C. And it was dedicated to the god or goddess of Artemis and Diana. That was referenced in Acts chapter 19. And we studied out of Acts 19 there to where Demetrius the silversmith who made those silver idols when Paul preached and was converting the world and saying that there are no such things as gods that are made by hands, but our God is an eternal God that is not made by anyone's hands, they started losing their business. They started not being able to make an income because that was their income, and they raised a riot against Paul and against all those who were Christians, and for over a couple of hours they shouted in the stadium that this was their God. That temple was around 400 feet long and over 200 and some feet wide. It had 127 pillars in it. Each one of those pillars was adorned with either gold or precious jewels along with the stone working. Some of them was just carved in ornamentation. But each one of them represented a historical record of someone 
or something that you would walk through there and that you would see that that's what it was. Now this is, next slide tells us what they looks like today. It, those pillars are still standing at the temple of Artemis to this day. King Croesus rebuilt it at this time because when he had captured this city, the temple was destroyed. So he rebuilt it as an honor of good faith towards them. And one of the pillars in that temple was dedicated to him. And it talked about the battles and the kingdoms that he had destroyed. Next, the pillars was often given with gifts from kings and they would from other nations and they would do that and they would have tablets written on them so that you could see the dedication and read through the history of the land, through the city and the nation of the great deeds that was going on. They are intricate. They were beautiful. It is recorded that it took on average of 60 years for two craftsmen skilled to make each one of these pillars, they are fantastic monuments. Here is the hallway in India of the Temple of 1,000 Pillars. I bet you can't guess how it got its name. Because it has all of these pillars and they're all different. They all represent something and they're beautiful. It's their record hall of things that goes on. You know, it's kind of like our baseball or football hall of fame, isn't it? to where you've got the busts of each of the individual people and a record of of what they did in their career. But now, if you take a look at this place lit up, you can see the beauty starting to come out of it and see the differences of everything and how it represents India's history uh, throughout time. Next, we get to the one in Egypt. So you can see that this is all over the world. The people at this time knew what pillars stood for in the temple. This is Luxor Temple in Egypt. It was built in 1400 B.C., around the time of Moses. These pillars have been standing as historical records and monuments for 3,400 years, telling tales. They are still deciphering the hieroglyphics to tell you the history of what each one of these pillars represent. They have endured to this day. They have special meaning for everyone that goes there. Now next we have the pillars that are actual likenesses of individuals carved on them. With all of their ancient cultures. This is their record keeping. This is their history. This is monuments to lives that were lived. And what it, the, want the world to know about each one of them. Even the American Indians. Don't you remember these things? Totem poles. Even as far away as in the United States of America, the Indians, for some reason, had totem poles that told about either the great chiefs, the medicine men, or the tribe and what the tribe stood for in the history and the battles. You know, so it didn't happen just over there. This is a thing that happened throughout the world and cultures and customs understood what it was to have a monument erected. We're no different in America, are we? If you think about it, what do we do in Washington, D.C.? In the nation's capital, if you would go there, you would start to see all of these things. You've got a Washington Memorial. You've got a Jefferson Memorial. You've got the Lincoln Memorial. The Capitol building, all of them have pillars. 
All of them as some kind of a pillar and a monument raised up to the great men of history so that anyone in America can go there and see the founding of our nation and the great deeds and study upon all of those things. So now, when we get to Revelation chapter 3, brothers and sisters in Christ, do you not know that our Lord Himself with the understanding now that we have of all of these things, that the Lord Himself is saying to us with a promise that from the Word of God that lives and abides forever, He says, I am going to erect, I am going to dedicate to you the overcomer, the one who overcomes through faith in my Son, Jesus Christ. I'm going to erect for you in my Father's holy temple in heaven, a permanent historical record of what you did in this life. And I say, are you kidding me? You want to take somebody as worthless as I am, and you're promising that if I will be faithful to you, that in the temple in heaven, that's the temple of God, you want to put up a pillar because of faith in you. And he says, yes, to all of those who overcome this world and the sin and the temptation and the trouble and the pain that you're going through, if you remain faithful to me, I'm going to erect for you a monument that everyone is going to be able to see. The enemy wants to seize our crown. He wants this to not happen. But he says, hang on, hold fast to what you have. And he's, as we've studied throughout this book, there's like 12 or 13 different references to rewards that he has given us. It's going to be so amazing, folks. But it all depends upon how we view Jesus Christ. Don't let anyone seize it. Be a nakao. Be a winner. Help each other out. We studied just two weeks ago about propping each other up. When you raise up new buildings and those framings is there, they take two by fours and prop them up. We need to help each other make it through this life to be an overcomer. So as our worship team comes on back up, Andy, if you want to bring the kids down, question is, don't you want that? Don't you want to be the victor, a winner? Don't you want to overcome this world? Don't you want to have a pillar erected in your honor telling everything that you have done for Jesus Christ? Fact is, if, if not, there's only one other choice And that's to reject this promise and to reject the offer of Jesus Christ for your life. And by by doing that, you are accepting separation from God and separation from His holy mountain, that temple, and choosing an eternal separation and punishment away from joy and peace and all of these promises. The choice is up to us. It's each individual choice. You know... In Acts 16, we are left with an example. 
In Acts 16, Paul and Silas are in prison because of Jesus Christ and preaching the gospel. And they are there in prison. And the Lord causes a great miracle. The doors open. It's midnight. The doors pop open. The jailer had been asleep, and in their custom, he would be killed for dereliction of duty. He would be really tortured. He was about to take his own life, and they hollered out, Don't, there's none of us gone. We're all here. And he went in and with a light, and he looked, and he saw that it was true. And it says that he fell down on his knees before him and in verse 30, and he said, Hey, sirs, what must I do? to be saved they'd been singing they'd been whipped they'd been beaten but they were singing at midnight and he knew it and he said what must I do and he says believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved and a part of what they ended up teaching them because two verses later it says that he gathered his household together because your family is important and you want your family to have what you have and they gathered the family together and he said This is what we need to do. And it says that they were baptized into Christ that very hour. And they washed his stripes from all of the wounds that he had. And the same thing can be here for you today. If you want to be in Jesus Christ. And you've got that same question. What must I do? Here's our example. Believe in Jesus Christ. And thou shalt be saved. And a part of faith is being buried with him in baptism. It says by faith Noah moved with fear and built an ark. So faith, those things are just the action of faith. And this is your expression of faith when you do that. So if that is your decision today, won't you make that be known so that you can be an overcomer and you can have eternal life and a pillar in the temple of our God? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this glorious, magnificent promise to those who overcome and believe in you, a a pillar in your holy temple for eternity that will never be shaken by earthquake or flood or fire or any kind of disaster because it says he goes out no more and that's an idiom for it's eternal. And Father, we thank you for an eternal promise that we can have. In Jesus' name, amen.